welcome to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast, where I discover stories of grit, resilience, and connection. I'm your host, Marie GG, and this podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. As a writer and marketing communications coach, I help organizations discover what makes them special and help them share that with the world. Writing engaging content is one of my superpowers. Look us up on FertileGroundCommunications.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a review and subscribe to hear our next episode. As a podcaster for justice, I stand with my sisters from the Women of Color podcasters community. We are podcasters united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many others at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism pervasive in our country since its inception, and we are committed to standing against racism in all its forms. Today, I have a special treat. I speak with my wonderful friend, April Brendan Locke, who is the president of the U.S. Board of Directors of Ogar Infantile, which means children's home. For over 50 years, Ogar Infantile has been breaking the cycle of poverty in Chiapas, Mexico, through education. We also speak with Miguel Ochoa Castellanos, also known as Teacher Mike, who grew up at Ogar Infantile and went on to become a successful business owner. Please look for Ogar's website in the show notes and find out how you can support the kids there. Hello, April and Miguel. Welcome to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. I'm happy to be with you also, Mary. We're excited. Miguel, where are you speaking to us from? I am speaking from Chiapas, Mexico, and and I live in a little town near to Guatemala. Uh, We are like five hours, uh, six hours from the border from Guatemala. It's a, a small town southeast of Chiapas. Excellent. Well, you are also my first international guest outside of the U.S., so it's an especially exciting day today. Can you share with our listeners about your childhood, Miguel? Where did you grow up, and what was your childhood like? Well, I didn't have a very happy childhood because my, my father passed away when I was six years old. It was a difficult time. My parents were about to get divorced, but then my father passed away, and I didn't have a, a happy childhood with my mother because she used to work a lot. We used to be two in two brothers, and my, my brother Jose Manuel and I. So we used to spend a lot of time with my grandparents. My mom used to work a lot. And after that, I used to help her to sell traditional candies in the streets. So I used to work a lot too, uh, and I used to go to school. And after going to school, I used to go to sell these traditional candies. I used to finish up about six in the afternoon. We used to live with my godmother. So it used to be very, very complicated not to have a place to live. My relatives took us the little house where we used to live. So my mother suffered a lot and she was very young at that age, at that, at that, at that time. So we didn't have a very, very, very happy childhood. We used to have different situations where, which were very complicated for us. And we were young. We didn't know how to behave. We didn't know how to do things. My mom used to cry a lot mm-hmm. because of the situation that she was, you know, going through. But she was a very strong woman. And she, I think, made a very good decision, which was, to take us to this orphanage. It was hard for her. I remember that first day when she decided to take me first. 
it was a very difficult. Now that I think about that moment, it, oh, like yeah. I was telling April, now that you think in that day, it was a very complicated day. We were, you know, getting apart from each other and living separate lives. And it was a very hard time. I can't imagine how heartbreaking it must have been for your mother to leave her children there. Yes. And I think she's a very strong woman. She's very strict things. But now that we spend a little more time, that now that I am older, that, can, that we can talk about many things, I can see that it was a very hard decision for her, you know, just to take her children and to another place and live away from, from them. It, it must be a very hard thing for her to do. Yes. So tell us about when you arrived at Ogar and uh, what that experience was like for you. Well, after, you know, going through the moments of, sadness, getting away from my mother and everything, I think that it was a very good decision she made because I have lived a wonderful life there. I have uh, met so many great people. Also, I, thanks to my arrival to Ogar, I went to United States for a couple of times. Uh, the first time I went there and I met my host mother, Sue Borwell, who who helped me a lot through my development as a human being. Hmm. She believed in my, you know, my my talent, my skills, and the human being that I was, you know, transforming at that time. And it changed my life. Uh, I always said that I thanks that I met this place, thanks to my mother that decided to take me to this place. It was a great thing because it changed my life forever. No, I met wonderful people there like April, like Paul Roach, Capitan David, and so many other people that I could mention, you know, Johanna Wilson. A lot of people that believe that I could do something different with my life. And when I was younger, I thought I, I wouldn't have a, a life similar to the life that I, that I have now. But now that I have lived through all these things and through all these years, I think that Ogar just changed my life forever. How old were you when you arrived there? I was nine years old. Nine years old. And before that, had you been in any kind of school environment? Was it your first exposure to school? I used to go to school. My mom was a hard believer that education was something crucial for my life. Even though it was, a, it was a hard thing for her to send me to school because she, at that time, she used to, you know, buy all the things for us. And she used to buy shoes, school supplies, and things like that. We were poor. We, we didn't have money. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a place to live. You know, my, my father just passed away and he didn't have anything for us. My mom was young, but she, she believed that education was something that it was we need to have. So she sent us to, to, to school. But it was hard for, for her to, to have us there with my brother. That's why she decided probably to, to send us to OR and have an education, there, which it was an amazing thing for us. April, can you tell us about your journey to Ogar as a young person? I have a pretty different upbringing from from Miguel. I grew up in Oregon, where I still live. I um, grew up in a 
a town of, outside of a town of 5,000 people, so a tiny little town on a farm, and grew up with, with lots of uh, extended family. And so we had, you know, grandma, aunts, my parents, my sisters um, living in the house with us. Sometimes cousins would live with us. And I went to a small high school that was mostly white and I was just really struggling in high school in, in terms of uh, finding a way to fit in, tr- trying to figure out who I was. And my family didn't have very much money, but it was a different kind of, obviously a different kind of not having money from, from what Miguel experienced in Chiapas. We lived on a farm and so we, we didn't have a lot of money, but we did have this land, which was in my family. And my parents both worked a lot of hours. My dad worked full time and then he'd, he'd come home and work on the farm. And I remember one day we, I was looking at the church bulletin. We went to a, a Catholic church in town and there was a notice in the church bulletin. A couple, um, actually a family from our church had gone down to Ogar Infantil to be the directors down there and we're, we're living down there. And I saw a notice that they were going to have a trip, kind of like a service trip with people from the church to go down to Ogar to, to paint one of the buildings there. And I saw that. And at the age of 15, I said, I have to go to this place. I don't know why. I don't know exactly what it was that planted that seed in me, but I I knew I had to go. And we had no money for plane tickets. I had never been outside of the U.S. So I told my mom I had to go on this trip. And I think she was like kind of worried that I was going to go to Mexico by myself. So not by myself, but with this group. And so she decided to go too. And so so that meant we had to have the money for two tickets. (laughs) So we started writing letters to people we knew and said, you know, we're going to go work at this children's home at Ogar Infantil in Chiapas, and would you contribute to our plane tickets? So it's really friends and family and acquaintances. It's really because of them that we were able to go. It's um, people's generosity. So we were down there for three and a half weeks. And I think, you know, there was something, I I grew up in kind of a social justice kind of uh, family, but I also had the sense that we were going to go help these folks, you know, they needed our help somehow. And I got down there and found out very quickly that this was really not that way, that it was more about <laughs> becoming part of this community. And Ogara Infantil is a community of, you know, in non-pandemic times, 65 to 70 children and young people, and then a lot of staff and on a, on a farm. So I, I showed up went from one farm to another farm with lots of almost like extended family. You know, here I was this teenager who didn't really feel like I fit in in my normal life back at home, but I was welcomed. We were welcomed into this big family. And, you know, yes, we were painting the buildings, but so were a bunch of the kids, you know, alongside us. It was, it was really this really cool experience of really being able to experience another community's way of life um, in a very different culture from ours and see that it wasn't about us going to, you know, save them or rescue them. It was really about us connecting with them. And so it had a really profound impact on me as, as a teenager 
it was a place that has just stayed in my heart my whole life. And I think, April, that's something that I have never told you before, or I think I did before. The last time we talked is the the thing the things that you that you do now, but you did as a teenager. It had also a big impact in ourselves too, because not many people decide to go to another country to help. You know what I mean? It's difficult to find people that are willing to share part of their time, to share part of their life, come to you know, come to your country come to your community to help you. And also for us, it was at that time uh, something important for us because with that um, detail of you coming here, show us that we were also important, that we had people that loved us, that we had some people that cared about us, that cared about our existence. <laughs> and you might not know that, or you might probably you didn't have the idea that by you doing this or that decision of you coming here, it also was something very good for us, not just for you. Probably sometimes we don't think about that, but it just, it affected us as well. Because by you doing that, we felt that we have more family somewhere. Mm-hmm. We might not have a mother or a father or a brother, but if you come to Ogar, then you show us that you care uh, and that we we are not alone and which is i think something very important sometimes for for any human being mm-hmm. well that's a little bit what i think yeah and april you were telling me maybe you can tell our listeners about what you observed when you arrived there and the way that the children interacted with each other that was different than your experience in the u.s yeah so that was something that was really just so surprising to me was, you know, I got down there and the kids did not have a lot of stuff. I mean, I I think I spent a lot of my time trying to worry about what kind of stuff I was going to get so I so people would think I fit in, you know, at home. And I got down there and the kids did not have a lot of stuff. What they had was shared, you know, toys and and things like that. And the kids lived in rooms with like bunk beds and so there was kind of a shared space where they slept and shared dining room area and things like that and i saw just obviously when you have 70 kids together you're going to have some disagreement sometimes but i didn't see very many of those and i thought about how i would get into arguments with my sisters and I was just not seeing that happen there as, you know, and there was a boy who had polio who had just had um, surgery and he was in his bunk bed and couldn't walk um, or couldn't walk very well without crutches. And so he was, you know, in there recovering from the surgery and the kids, nobody really planned this, but it was like the kids got kind of, hung around his bed and you know they would go do things they needed to do and then someone else would come in but there was really always some group of kids in there 
around him, spending time with him, making sure he wasn't alone or lonely. And I was so touched by that, just this kind of spontaneous sense of care and taking care of each other in this place, you know, where, where these kids had come from all these different stories of poverty and the effects of this serious systemic poverty, but had found these connections there and how they, how they took care of each other. It was really cool. And going back years later, when I, when I went back again for the first time after many years, I saw the same, I see the same thing happening. It's, it's just an incredible ethic there and, and community. I wonder whether thinking back to the way that Ogar was started, does that have something to do with the way the, the spirit of community that's there now? Or how did they create this place that has this type of camaraderie and compassion? So it was started back in the 60s by an American expat named Nick Anderson, who was in another part of Chiapas and saw a lot of children living on the streets who did not have families and somehow was able to acquire this ranch in this property outside of Ocosocuatla and was able to Basically, by writing letters to people, he was able to get, um, in the U.S., who he knew, he was able to get enough money to build buildings and whatnot to for the kids to live in. And, you know, I think that the fact that, and maybe Miguel has, has some thoughts on this too, but I think that a few years later after Nick died, there was, Miguel mentioned him, Capitan David, who is still really in actually, and his family is on the board as well. And, you know, they came down and said, gosh, this place needs some help um, after he had died and really poured their heart into making sure it, you know, was a safe place for kids to grow up and um, really serving that community. And I think you know, the love of the people who supported the place, I think, helped this. But I also think it's part of the incredible culture of Chiapas to to make connections and to have a community wherever you are. And if that community is not your family, which is traditionally, I think, down there what the community is, you know, your community is really your your family and that extended family. And if you don't have that, you're going to create community with the people who are like your family. And so I don't know, Miguel, do you have thoughts about where that, where that came from, where that heart of Ogar, you know, how that was born? Well, I think April, that you mentioned it correctly is, well, we used to have a very hard time. I remember that uh, one day I was talking to someone and he said that Ogar Infantil is, is a unique place because of this sharing tradition that we have. And we need to remember that Chiapas is uh, one of the poorest states in Mexico. As it, it, we have the similar situation with Oaxaca, and a lot of poor people live here. And I think it was a, a good idea for Nick Anderson to, to come to Chiapas and, you know, build this place. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I think that Ch Chiapanecan people are very helpful, very polite, very kind, and willing to help each other. And I think it's because that uh, that is a cultural thing as well. And when you uh, put that into Ogar, I think that it's because uh, in our culture, we have this sharing 
I don't know if, if we could say like a, a sharing innate thing that it comes with us. You no, know? it's about we we have to share the food, we have to share the toys, we have to share uh, clothes, uh, we have to share the bike. I remember that one day on Christmas, someone donated uh, a bike for us, and we used to be like 20 kids playing with one bike. You know, <laughs> it was a very <laughs> thing. Uh, but yes, we, we, we have this. And when you get older, you sort of like continue doing this habit about sharing. Sometimes it's not, it's not a good thing when you share with people because you, you share because you are used to this. You, know? you share with, uh, and not expecting nothing back. For us, it's difficult sometimes when we get out of the our community and we go to another place because sometimes we are willing to help whatever the reason is and, and sometimes people are not willing to accept the help. But yes, uh, once you get into Ogar, if you are not willing to share, somehow you ended up sharing your things because that's how the life there is. We don't have many things. We don't have like many TVs. We don't have many toys for everybody. We don't have many things for everybody. So you somehow develop the habit of sharing that's one thing that I think is something that you acquire once you are in the place. Yeah. Miguel, how would you say that Ogar has changed you? Oh, my God. Ogar just changed my life. I didn't have many expectations of all the things that I wanted to do in life. But let me tell you that I have the best life ever now. I have a family. I have my, my children. I have my personal project with a language school. And I have another business. And somehow, if I weren't lived there in this place, I wouldn't have the life that I am now, no. I, I am a teacher. I know a lot of people. I am willing to share my story to help other teenagers here in my community. I like to give talks to young people in the schools and things like that because everybody deserves to have new opportunities. And the opportunities here in my state are complicated. We need to remember that we live in one of the poorest states in Mexico, and the social status here is very highlighted, you know, it's very pronounced, because we have very, very rich people, and we have a middle class, a regular middle class, and poor people. And one of the things that I, I am very happy that I acquire during my time at Ogar and also during my time at United States with my family there is that I acquire new ideas. And I think one of the things that I like the most is to have this new mentality. I think that anyone can reach anything. My slogan is make the impossible possible. And it is because uh, you need to believe in yourself first. And you need to really want to make a change in your life so you can uh, have a bigger impact in your community. I have been asked to be in, in politics because people think that I'm a good leader for the community. And I am willing all the time to help. I'm not a very good politician, though because I think that I'm not really into that kind of situations where I can help more. I think the things that we have done for my community with my family are very different from a politician's uh, situation or position. 
I think that everything that I have lived now and that I have now is because of God, because the time I, I lived there, because of the experience of sharing, because the hard work that we used to do there, because the companionship and the partnership that we used to have among us and to have a big, this big family. I think that is, uh, for us, it was a big thing to have a time there. I think that for me, Ogar represents opportunities. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you got to where you are now? What was the journey of your business? After you left Ogar, what happened next? Okay, uh, well, after I left Ogar, I, I finished college because I was at the university and I finished my career. To have a, a job opportunities are very complicated because you are not, you don't have experience. Uh, I remember that a friend called me to work for this university and also thanks to my director in my faculty at that time, Marisa Trejo gave me the opportunity to become an English teacher there in the university. So I was working in two universities and I was asked to work for others during my free time. And, and that's how I developed this entrepreneurship. I developed the idea to have my own language school. That time, it was a learning time. It was a learning experience for me to get to the point where I am now because I had this knowledge about hard work that I acquired at Hogar Infantil. And then I have this learning experience in my work in, my, in the university. And so that's how I mixed that. And I say, well, I could do this. You know, I could have a language business. That's how I created multi-language space. I sat down with my friend Juan Mendez and we developed the idea. And we didn't, we didn't have much money at that time. So we sort of like invest a little money that we have in chairs. And we started multi-language space in Tuxla Gutierrez, which is the capital of Chiapas. But then I left my friend Juan there in Tuxla and I moved a new school here in Ocosocotla. It was not the first language school, but it was the first language school with someone with experience in languages. I started my school in the living in the living room of my house because my house was very small, it's still very small. I have to give away my furniture. I donated <laughs> my sofa, my couch and everything to put my chairs and my <laughs> my whiteboard in my living room. And that's how I started. I started with three students, then seven students, 25 students, 45 students, 63 students. And then I have to move to another place and hire my, my first teachers. And then we increase uh, to 125 students. Since the beginning, we have been increasing our numbers with about the students that we have. So right now we are almost 200 students and I have five teachers working with me. And now I haven't also put other businesses and my wife, Anna helped me a lot with this and we are very hardworking because she also lived in an orphanage in, in Tuxla or oh. girls orphanage. So mm -hmm. we somehow, you know, have the same ideas about working hard and getting what you want through work. No. Yes. Wow. That's very impressive story. So April, can you tell us how Ogar has changed you as a person and how you found your way back to Ogar? Yeah, so, you know, over the years after after going there, 
it stayed in my heart and I always wanted to go back. You know, I didn't know that I had a lot to contribute, I guess, over, you know, when I was younger and, and after I got out of college, I wasn't really sure how I would contribute to the organization. So I did contribute some money over the years. And as I got older, it was more and more on my mind. And I got my teaching degree. I was a teacher for several years. And then I went to work for, for the state and I'm a certified project manager now. And I really started to feel like, you know, I do have some things I could contribute to Ogar. And I probably always did. I just, I didn't think I did, I guess. And I remember getting a newsletter. So basically, I'll just explain a little bit. So OGAR is kind of two organizations in one. So there's a local board made up mostly of people who grew up at OGAR and they govern the day-to-day operations there. And there's a staff. In fact, the director's there now. They're married and the husband grew up at OGAR. He was there when I was there in 1990 as a 15-year-old. And then there's also an American board which provides most of the resources. So we're really this partnership between the United a community in the United States and a community in Mexico. So I got a newsletter from the American board and it talked about how, you know, things were changing in terms of many of the people who had become had been donors since the time Nick founded Ogar or saw there was a I don't know if, if you remember Parade magazine, which comes mm-hmm. out in the Sunday papers, right? So there was an article, I wanna say in the early seventies, about Ogar Infantile. And it generated so much interest. There were so many donors. Um, and we, we still have some donors who have been donating since <laughs> the Parade Magazine article came out. And I think there was also an article in Guideposts as well. So there, you know, there's people who have been long-term donors. But as happens, you know, as people get older and maybe aren't able to donate anymore or they pass away, there's kind of this shift that happens and organizations need to find a way to continue to connect with new people who can support the organization. And so I, ha- I saw this in there, um, you know, this little article about how they were looking for fundraising ideas and things like that. And I thought, oh, I have some ideas. So I reached out and it turned out the president of the United States board lived like half an hour from me in Oregon. (laughs) And she was married to one of the guys who was down there when I was there in 1990. And so they had been living half an hour from me and I didn't know it. (laughs) And so we, we got connected and she and I ended up taking a trip down there a few years ago. And it was very cool because, you know, there's some new buildings and things like that now. And obviously there's new kids there, a new generation of children that heart of Ogar Infantile is still there. And it was such a cool experience for me to go back that first time after so many years, after, I don't know, 28 years or something like that. And it became clear to me that I wanted to dedicate my time to helping Ogar and to supporting the children there. And so I'm now on the board. I'm the president of the board and uh, in the United States. And I'm just so excited to be working with the team in the United States and the team in Mexico to provide, you know, resources for Ogar Infantile to continue its 
its mission. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. Miguel, I'm going to turn back to you and ask you, what are you most proud of in your life? I think that one of the things that I feel proud is to live. <laughs> to just to have the, the, fact, the fact that I live now is, I think, one of the things that I am very proud of. I, because of the place that I live, because of the state, the state of Chiapas, uh, where I live, I think, you know, drugs, poverty, there are many things that could probably not be good for me. Just the fact that I have life now, that I have the time to spend with my family, to have my business. I think that I have everything that I want and I feel proud of having everything that I want and to have life. I think it's one of the most rewarding things that we can say. So I feel proud of having my life and be willing to reach whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Well, you're such a success story for going from selling candy on the streets and now you're a, a very successful business owner. So you have a lot to be proud of in your life. And yes, and but I think also when I share with other people about my story, I say that I have the same life that many Mexicans. It's just that we need to, sometimes we need to change the way we think. I have poor mentality. I try to give talks to people, to my students, to, to certain audience sometimes, and, you know, to help them to develop projects, to help them with business plans and everything. I try to, you know, give a little bit back to my community because everything is possible. It's just sometimes you have to change the way you think and you also have to put away your past and learn new things, learn new habits. I think it's one thing that we need to do here in Chiapas. And I think Ogar Infantil help a lot. And that's why I think people should help a little bit more to these places because we're changing lives. and mm-hmm. We're transforming the mentality of people. And I think that's something very important. So let's talk a little bit about COVID-19 and what is that like right now in Chiapas and how has COVID-19 affected your business, Miguel? Maybe April, you can talk a little bit about how it's affected Ogar. It has affected a lot the situation that we have lived Many business they are away from business now. They are they are out of business now because the economy was very affected. It was tremendous. This situation really very hard for everybody. Business were closed. The economy was affected. Business uh, we have to develop new things. We have to develop adaptability so we could work and invest in in computers. Invest in, in material. Thing. We lost uh, many clients and it was a very hard situation. It was it affected us a, a lot. And I had friends also that they used to have business and also they, they have to fire some people. Not that because they wanted, but they didn't have money mm. to pay them. For me, uh, what I did, it was I talked to my collaborators and I told them I didn't want to fire no one, but I was not going to be able to pay them the salary that I, I used to give them. So I talked to them and somehow we tried to keep them working, paying at least a little bit more of the half of the salary that they received. But the idea was to have them here and try to give them some money, some salary for their families to have an income because it was very, very hard for us. It continues right now. In our town, I, I count one day, 
12 people that passed away. It was very hard for many families because of the people that they lost here. For the economy, it was fatal. But somehow right now we're getting there. Not, not yet like we want to because I, I don't think the economy is going to you know, recover from this. But at least we are, you know, somehow developing a, a new resources, new ways of contributing to the economy to increase a little bit. But it was a very, very, very hard time for everybody. April, can you speak a little bit about OGAR and how it's dealing with COVID-19? Yeah, so COVID-19 hit Chiapas three to four weeks after it it really hit areas in the United States. And for children who have extended family or had a safe place, have a safe place to stay, they went to stay with those families if the families were able to support them once the quarantine started. And we had about 20 young people who stayed on at Ogar Infantile through the, the spring and the summer. What's happened in Mexico is I think originally there was this idea of doing online school and it became clear that that was not going to meet the needs of most of the, you know, of many of the students in Mexico who didn't have access to computers. And so they've decided to do television school, which I guess this, Miguel might know more about this than I do, but I guess this is something that's been done in in some remote areas where they'll have a television school where it's broadcasting lessons and then the kids turn in their homework. And so They have done kind of a nationwide television school. And so we were able to reach out with the help of a friend of Ogar's who um, lives in Texas, Alejandro, was able to connect. He's from Chiapas. He was able to connect with some people he knew down there and recently got some televisions donated so that they can be showing different grade levels. So each each station, I think, has a different grade level. And so they've got different rooms set up for the kids um, at Ogar. We now have about 35 children. We have some new children. We have some kids who have returned from quarantine with their families and are now back at Ogar. So they are doing television school. And, you know, they've been, the kids are really mostly confined to the ranch, but it's, you know, it's a nice big piece of property. And the staff there is just amazing. They have just been so willing to step up to this huge challenge of going from, you know, what was really kind of a a finely oiled machine um, of getting kids to school and back and town and things like that to now they're kind of the teachers, you know, they're really helping these kids with their lessons and homework and a completely, you know, having the kids there all day. They're not at school. They're, they're there on the property. So it's really just like everywhere, you know, right now, like in the United States, you know, we're all dealing with this new reality and it's, it's, we're just very thankful to the staff for, for what they are doing and the incredible the incredible work they're doing right now. You know, it's a scary time and there's friends of Ogar who have passed away who, you know, were part of the extended community in, in Ocozucuatla and it's it's just it's really hit the area very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very difficult to to see that. It's really unfortunate. And so my final question for both of you is, is there a story of grit and resilience that has been an inspiration for you in your life? I have many people that I admire because of resilience or through life. I have learned a lot from them. I have a friend that he had a father that was a very alcoholic person. And now is a, a big uh, 
entre entrepreneur. I have learned a lot from him. And he also lived at Ogar. And when I met him at, at Ogar, he was not a very good student. He didn't actually went to, uh, to college. He just, I think he finished just high school. But he's a very good business person. And he's an inspiration for me because even though he's younger, He's very good at administrating business. He's also a friend and he is my brother because we somehow grow up together at Ogar. So I think mm -hmm. he's an inspiration for me. What I want for, for me and my family is, you know, is learn from these experiences and try to help other people so we can have a better, a better community here in Chiapas. Thank you for sharing. April, how about you? Part of the reason I am serving Ogar is because this community inspires me and the people I know who have left Ogar and have gone on to to live lives of possibility who who now have choices in their lives and are taking advantage of those choices I really feel like those folks are inspiring and people like Miguel people like um, the director of Ogar I am very inspired by the connection and the resilience of, of the folks who have taken advantage of the opportunity to, to create a new future for themselves. I'd love to invite listeners to head out to our website because we have a special page out there for the podcast um, that has pictures of Miguel and me and my trip down there in 1990. And we also have a spot where you can leave a message for the kids if you'd like mm -hmm. to send like an encouraging message. This is really a time of isolation, I think, for them. And they would just love to hear from folks encouraging them in their in their studies and in their hard work. So we would love to in invite you out there to check that out. That is so cool. I'm also wondering whether listeners, if they want to, is there a place where they can send letters or cards? Would that be invited as well? Yeah, definitely. And out on our website, we have our PO box, which is in Salem, Oregon, and they are absolutely welcome to send cards and letters. And we will share those with the folks down at the ranch. We are just very excited to reach out to people who are interested in connecting with, you know, connecting an American community to a Mexican community and building that bridge that I think we, many of us are just yearning for right now. And this is just being part of the Ogar community and an Ogar supporter is an awesome way to really make a connection during a time when I think a lot of us are feeling isolated and looking for hope. And one of the things that I think is really cool about our organization is that we are a pretty small relationship-based kind of intimate organization. And so we we know many of our donors and we're excited to to reach out and connect with new folks who would like to be part of the Ogar extended family. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed chatting with both of you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining today and hearing from Miguel and April. Doesn't Ogar sound like an amazing place? Don't forget to check out their website. Next week, I interview Dr. Chris Gowan. After her best friend died, Chris decided to travel around to all 50 states and sing karaoke in each state. We talked about friendship, grief, and sex. Chris is a co-founder of Beyond the Talk, the sex ed you wish you had. Thanks for listening to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast. Our music is by jazz pianist Jonathan Swanson. This podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. Look us up on FertileGroundCommunications.com.